Welcome to Progressive News Network on Blog Talk Radio. This is our Sunday show. I'm Janine Moloff. I am the producer and host. Well, uh, I hope you all are having a nice uh, weekend. I know that Christmas is a week away, a week from today, next Sunday. But tonight, my holiday starts, Hanukkah. So to everyone, to all my Jewish friends out there, Happy Hanukkah. And to those who aren't Jewish, I still wish you a happy Hanukkah. All righty. So you probably didn't get a chance to see our advert, and that's for a couple of reasons. First of all, lately, <laughs> the news on the ground has been changing so quickly and so radically. I'll start one thing, and then I realize, oops, another story took greater precedence, and so it changes. So for that, I apologize. Secondly, um, this has to do with social media. So before all these other journalists complained about getting kicked off, off of Twitter, I've long since been kicked off of Twitter, LinkedIn, and I've been in Facebook jail more times than I can count. And the latest thing has been I was already further down in the rankings, and then Facebook put my post further down in their algorithm, whatever you call it, as a punishment for 25 days. And what was my crime? There were some, um, I, I think calling them right-wingers is too kind, all right? These were people that uh, basically were consistently calling progressives and members of the LGBTQ plus community, anybody who allies with them, you know, people that are woke, basically um, defaming all these groups by calling them pedophiles or groomers, and one woman on Facebook claimed that the entire, all journalists are propagandists, yada, yada, yada. And I believe that I called one of these people in a rebuttal. I believe that I just said, you know, look, you're, you're ignorant, okay? You're kind of a moron. You don't have any proof. And that's what got me 25 days lower down in Facebook's rankings. So, you know, I'm trying to rely on our listeners. Please kindly share these programs with anybody and everybody you know because, yeah, you know, apparently I've been stepping on all bright toes. So let's move on, all right? So our ad, basically the title of today's show is The GOP Defamation Wars. Lies, lies, and more lies because that's what they've been up to, all right? When you have nothing to offer the average person, then you offer them hate, fear, and lies. And lies are how you push all this. So I'm talking about what I call the GOP defamation wars. And when I say defamation, that includes slander and libel. Uh, the most recent target has been U.S. Congresswoman Katie Porter, Republican colleague, none other than Congressman Ronnie Jackson, not only accused Porter of making excuses for pedophiles, but he accused all progressives of the same in a tweet. Now, Jackson is joined also in his defamation of others by the equally infamous creator of the libs of TikTok tweet account, Twitter account, uh, Chaya Rychik. Now, keep in mind, neither Ronnie Jackson nor Rychik have a single shred of evidence to back their defamatory accusations, but they base those accusations on spliced sections at least in Katie Porter's case, of actual congressional testimony being collected by Katie Porter. Now, you have to realize, both Ronnie Jackson, Haya Reichick, and these other people 
are kind of stupid. I keep my Ronnie Jackson, besides being a U.S. congressman, is a physician. In fact, he was the physician to three different presidents. He was the physician to George W. Bush, uh, Barack Obama, and Donald Trump. So you, you, and he's a rear admiral in the Navy. You would think that he would know to kind of check sources, but he doesn't care about that. And now all this is based on video that shows Katie Porter interviewing the president of, uh, I think it's Human Rights, Camp, the Human Rights Campaign. And what they did is they took parts of what Porter said out of context and spliced this little thing together. Uh, so this incident is really just, it, it's merely the latest incarnation of what I call the GOP war on truth, using a propaganda machine that, you know, systemically and routinely slanders, libels, and defames. Now, as far as I'm concerned, the time is long overdue to collect the evidence of slander, libel, and defamation and start suing these purveyors of lies. Okay? And I, I don't want to hear cancel culture being whined at or, or, you know, First Amendment. The First Amendment says you have the right of free speech, among other things. Namely, the government can't censor you. But it does not it does not mean you can say or write anything you want without, without any sort of consequence. If you slander, libel, or defame a person or a group of people, there will be consequences. They have the right to sue you. you free speech doesn't give you the right to lie. It just doesn't. So that's our big story. Um, and let's see. Yeah, we've got seven minutes on the air. Okay, our second story deals with the gut interminably slow pace of criminal prosecutions against the organizers of the January 6th insurrection. All right? Um, keep in mind, the little people are getting jail sentences, but the organizers aren't. Um, the political uh, the political people that assisted aren't. And then there was this one Republican who was incredibly stupid, Ralph Norman, and he was caught sent, having sent texts to uh, then-presidential top eight uh, – no, he was chief of staff, I believe, Mark Meadows. Uh, and Congressman Ralph Norman demanded Trump implement martial law. Now, martial law is, is basically military rule. It's basically saying you're tossing the Constitution. So I'm sure Trump had no problem with that, that idea. Now – to add insult to injury, these texts include more members of Congress than was previously reported. I believe in the House alone, there were some 50 Congress people that were involved in these treasonous texts that were, you know, demanding essentially overthrow of the government. <clears throat> and, you know, you, there's some reporting that was done by CNN back like this past April but the really good reporting is from TPM, Talking Points Memo, where they did recently a massive story, and they have the actual tweets. You know, it's wonderful. So this insurrection was also built on a propaganda lie machine. And then, of course, we have our Jackass of the Week Award. So this one kind of hit me hard because I really respect Katie Porter. Katie Porter, in case you don't know who she is, she is a congresswoman from California. She She's a Democrat, but she comes from a purple district. Okay, it's in Orange County, which is long known to be very conservative, but 
there was wiggle room, all right? And she's the lady with the infamous whiteboard. You probably have seen clips here and there where she got out the whiteboard and with basically what I call the old teacher tricks with facts that were backed up and verified and logic, she outed these CEOs from various corporations out and showed that they were clearly lying. And when you lie in front of Congress, you know, there's a, that's a crime. It's called perjury. And, but she does it so masterfully that there's nothing they can do except sit there dumbfounded. So, of course, she was a target, you know, no doubt about it. Um, so we're going to go to our first, first documented source, excuse me. Uh, give me one second, folks. Sorry about that. Okay, <clears throat> not in the best voice today. So let's get going. So our first documented source um, comes from Salon. <laughs> Excuse me. It's a piece written by Ariba Shaw. I hope I'm spelling that person's. I hope I'm pronouncing that name correctly. If I'm not, I apologize. And the headline reads. GOP rep Ronnie Jackson's false pedophilia attack on Katie Porter blows up in his face. So we're going to go straight to that. Okay, so again, this was written by Reba Shaw. It was published the 16th a couple of days ago. And you have to keep in mind, who is Ronnie Jackson? He's not merely a U.S. congressman and a Republican. This man knows better. All right, Ronnie Jackson... Excuse me, has basically served as a presidential personal as a presidential physician to George W. Bush, Barack Obama, and Donald Trump. He, Ronnie Jackson, is also a rear admiral in the new U.S. Navy. Now, I have friends that are career military, and yes, they're you know they're Republicans, but they're also at least the ones I know are fair-minded individuals. We can agree to disagree, but what I'm saying is they value truth and honor. And what Ronnie Jackson has done is so dishonorable, it's beyond the pale. You know, he defamed and, you know, and libeled Katie Porter, who, you know, it's kind of stupid because Katie Porter is not only a brilliant attorney, but she's a law professor. You would think if you were going to pick a target, you wouldn't pick a target as bright as Katie Porter, but... Ronnie Jackson, I guess, is that arrogant. So basically, he tweeted, let's see now, and I'm, I'm actually writing a piece on this right now. Okay, let me, okay, so what Porter tweeted is, quote, Katie Porter just said that pedophilia isn't a crime. She said it's an identity. This is the embodiment of evil. The sad thing is that this woman isn't the only vile person pushing for pedophilia normalization. This is what progressives believe, end quote. Now, for those of you that doubt, doubt I collect actual sources, besides actually take, reading this source, I copied and pasted it and saved it to a Word, you know, a word file. So I have it, even if it's taken down. Um, Ronnie Jackson is accusing Katie Porter 
of covering for pedophiles, which in some states is a crime. Now, keep in mind, pedophilia is probably one of the most vile crimes any person can commit. You know, it's basically the crime of raping and sexually molesting children, period. It doesn't get much lower than that. And that's not what Katie Porter actually said. Now, Katie Porter was speaking with Kelly Robinson, who is the president of the Human Rights Campaign. And the Human Rights Campaign um, basically is a group that, yes, fights for the equal and human rights of the LGBTQ plus community. And they have um, a report, and it's under their uh, digital hate campaign. And the report is actually authored under the Human Rights Campaign by the Center for Countering Digital Hate. The title of the report is Social Media's Role in Amplifying Dangerous Lies About LGBTQ Plus People. Okay? So I'm going to go to what I've actually researched beyond that. Give me a second here, folks. Uh, sorry about that. Here it is. I have more information. It's just it's this is an old an old Chromebook, so it's slow. So I do apologize. All right, let's see now. We're waiting. So um, it gets worse than than that even. All right. Here we go. Now I can see it. So. You know, Ronnie Jackson, besides defaming Congresswoman Katie Porter, somehow Admiral Jackson magically knows what every progressive is thinking, like by osmosis or something. Well, as a progressive, I am against pedophilia, all right? I mean, I think pedophiles should be locked up forever. But then you've got Kaya Rychik, the owner of the notorious group called Libs of TikTok. She chimes in. Of course, hers is archived because it was taken down, and she said, quote, Representative Katie Porter says pedophilia isn't a crime, it's an identity. There was another defamatory threat in, thread in Twitter, and this was provided by Jamie Mitchell's, it's a group called Gays Against Groomers, and the tweet says, Katie Porter said, quote, Katie Porter says a pedophilia isn't a crime, but a sexual orientation. Newsflash, no the F, it isn't. We will never allow a P to be added to, onto the ever-growing alphabet acronym NEVER. So I guess the P was to the LGBTQ plus community. Um, again, the libel and the def defamation coming from Ronnie Jackson, though, is frankly the worst. He's a retired rear admiral, as I said before, from the U.S. Navy. He's a physician who has served three presidents, W, Barack, and Trump. Now, I, I'm i not shocked that George W. Bush or Donald Trump are remaining silent about this. I am shocked that Barack Obama hasn't spoken up. Now, so what did actually Katie Porter really say? What did she say in this, um, uh, this interview, if you will, this, this investigation with, um, you know, with Kelly? Um, I'm losing my place here, folks. I'm sorry. With Kelly Robinson. All right, and this is where it gets really creepy. Um, Porter was discussing a report, as I said before, created by the Human Rights Campaign, which documents the systemic online defamation and, unfortunately, the resulting incitement to violence. Okay, 
this in this particular incitement doesn't just stop with words all right the um what was it the club q shooting tragic shooting the shooter was triggered by online accounts like libs of tiktok all right he was you know determined to go after these people even though he didn't know any of these people personally and that's what we're really dealing with here um and when you add to it the groomer narrative when somebody accuses you of being a groomer or even if they use the phrase they think they're being sarcastic okay groomer they are accusing you of aiding and abetting a pedophile um Jelaine Maxwell is a perfect example of a groomer. Jelaine Maxwell has is was proven to be a groomer for Jeffrey Epstein. Make no mistake about it. And that's what they're calling you. And so Twitter keeps in fact since um, since Elon Musk bought Twitter, they've been even mo- allowing more posts calling LGBTQ people groomers, um, which is in violation of their guidelines. They don't care. Keep in mind, um, the Human Rights Campaign, their report, also revealed that this inflammatory rhetoric against the LGBTQ community is, even though it's been seen by millions of people, it's driven by a small group of what they call, quote, extremist politicians and their allies, end quote. According to the Salon article, it says, quote, just 10 people drove 66% of impressions for the 500 for the 500 most viewed hateful grooming tweets including governor Ron DeSantis's press secretary Christina Pushaw extremist members of congress like representative Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and pro Trump activists like libs of TikTok founder Haya Raichik end quote the article goes on to say quote the reporter found, I'm sorry quote the report found that post from the 10 people alone reached more th- and for I'm going to, okay, starting to get a little disfluent. Give me a second here. Again, the Salon, um, the Salon article found the following, quote, the report, and the, by this report, they mean the report conducted by the Human Rights Campaign, quote, found that posts from the 10 people alone reached more than 48 million views. And the top 500 most influential grooming tweets altogether were seen 72 million times, end quote. Okay. Now, Salon also quotes Katie Porter. And what Porter, during the course, this Porter said, quote, this allegation of groomer and a pedophile, it is alleging that a person is criminal somehow and engaged in criminal acts merely because of their identity, their sexual orientation, their gender identity. So this is clearly prohibited under Twitter's content, yet you found hundreds of these posts on the platform, end quote. Now, for those of you that don't understand what you read, okay, and apparently there are a lot of conservatives that are in dire need of a reading, um, basically of of a reading course. They don't understand what they read. Um. That statement isn't saying that Porter says pedophilia isn't a crime at all. It's just saying the allegation, when somebody alleges someone's a groomer or a pedophile, basically accusing them of a criminal act, not because of any proof, 
but because of their gender identity or their sexual orientation, you know, that's defamation. In fact, it's the textbook definition of slander, libel, or defamation. Slander is the spoken word. Libel is the written word. Defamation is the whole thing entirely. Um, you know, this is a this is tantamount to saying, hmm, I don't like that person because they're a conservative, so I'm going to accuse them of being a thief. I don't have proof that they're a thief, but I don't like them, so I'm going to call them a thief. This is tantamount to during the days of the pilgrims, you know, when men were somehow angry at a specific woman, they would scream, witch! And that began the witch trials and the witch burnings. Not because the women being accused had done anything wrong or were witches, only because they didn't like them, so they made this false accusation with no actual evidence, no verifiable evidence, period. That's all Katie Porter was saying. It is not Katie Porter's fault that far too many Trumpers, like I said, are in dire need of a remedial reading course because their reading comprehension is probably less than a second grader. That's not her fault. Okay? That's what Katie Porter said. So this account that said, this account that accuses Porter of saying pedophilia isn't a crime, it's an identity, it was tweeted alongside a video which omitted all of Porter's comments, her full comments. Period. It just does. And so, um, you know, it didn't matter, though. Ronnie Jackson kept pushing these lies. Keep in mind, the purpose of this hearing that Katie Porter was having with um, the Human Rights Campaign was to listen to survivors of the Club Q shooting, as well as activists that were there to provide testimony on anti-LGBTQ violence, all right? And basically, we're saying that this hateful right-wing, they call it rhetoric, I'm going to call it what it is, this right-wing defamation is inciting people, and as Salon put it, quote, a contributing factor to the shooting, end quote, all right? So there's another quote here at the end of this article. And this quote is from Brandon Wolf. Uh, Brandon Wolf survived the 2016 shooting at Orlando's Pulse nightclub. All right. To quote uh, Brandon Wolf, quote, for years, cynical politicians and greedy grifters have joined forces with right-wing extremists to pour gasoline onto anti-LGBTQ hysteria and terrorize our community. My own governor, Ron DeSantis, has trafficked in that bigotry to feed his insatiable political ambition and propel himself toward the White House. We have been smeared and defamed. Hundreds of bills have been filed in order to erase us. Powerful figures have insisted that the greatest threats this country face are a teacher with they, them pronouns or someone reading in a wig uh, or someone in a wig reading Red Fish, Blue Fish, and all along we warned these short-sighted political maneuvers would come with the human cost, but they have continued anyway, end quote. And that's what this is really all about, okay? Put bluntly, nobody has, First Amendment rights or not, nobody has the right 
to slander, libel, or defame anyone with impunity. Period. And when you slander, libel, or defame a person or a group of people, and there is resultant violence that was triggered by that slander, libel, or defamation, yes, you can be held accountable, not just in terms of of civil liability, but criminal liability. The Club Q shooter was triggered by this type of defamation, specifically on, tw- on Twitter, I believe. Those that posted that, that, that inflamed him, yes, they should be held criminally responsible as well. The crime, what's the crime? It's called, um, um, oh, Lord have mercy. Where is my brain today? Uh, <laughs> it's called felony murder, felony homicide. Basically, what it means is if you do something that results in somebody else's death, even if you weren't the one that actually pulled the trigger, you're still guilty of murder because you created the conditions that led to this. And you can't incite an online lynch mob. Yes, I went there. And then when the lynch mob attacks, per your instructions, per your incitement, you can't do the Pontius Pilate thing and wash your hands and say, I had nothing to do with it. It doesn't work that way. The law doesn't work that way. And it's long overdue that the people that push this slander, libel, and defamation need to be held both civilly and criminally responsible. And it's not cancel culture. But free speech isn't a license to lie. Free speech is not a license to incite. It doesn't work that way. So just to let you all know, I'm actually working on a piece right now that I'm going to be sending in to my editors at BuzzFlash and a few others on what's going on with Katie Porter. Um, And, you know, I'm not shocked they attacked Katie Porter. They got the actual, you know, uh, opportunity. Okay, because, again, um, you know, Porter, you know, Porter's known as basically the congresswoman who just, she calls out, she, she basically outs what are systemic corporate lies with what I call irrefutable facts and infallible logic. You know, and I'm, this is from my article that I'm working on now. To put it bluntly, she's exposed the CEO version of the dog ate my homework. And the CEO sit there looking incredibly stupid because she just put it out there. So, you know, once again, I don't understand people like Congressman Ronnie Jackson. Um, you know, I called his office and they got very testy with me. Oh, well, again, the Human Rights Campaign uh, report uh, is a very interesting one. I have the executive summary in front of me, actually. Um, The title is Online Harassment, Offline Violence. That's a very apt title. Had to get a little drink there. I'm going to read it again. Human Rights Campaign Foundation. This report is titled Online harassment, offline violence. And then underneath it says unchecked harassment of gender affirming care. I'm sorry, unchecked harassment of gender affirming care providers in children's hospitals on social media and its offline violent consequences. So this deals with that. There's another uh, report as well. But um, 
Apparently, according to this quote, anti-equality online extremists are leading a proactive, I'm just reading straight from it, and coordinated campaign of hate against hospitals and medical providers who offer gender-affirming care for transgender, non-binary, and questioning youth. <clears throat> Social media posts from accounts like Libs of TikTok and Matt Walsh kick off a cycle of harassment and stigma with the ultimate goal of inciting violence and shutting down access to life-saving and medically necessary gender-affirming care. Um, so it goes on to say, hate speech accounts post, I'm just reading straight from it, post an inflammatory message full of disinformation about gender-affirming care and call it a specific, and call out a specific hospital or doctor by name. It's amazing how these conservatives cry that Elon Musk has someone, somehow been doxxed because of where the plane goes when that's not doxing, but they're fine with doxing others. Uh, this goes on to say the doctor and hospital almost immediately begin receiving a barrage of harassing and threatening messages online. Um, it goes on to say offline doctors and hospitals named in social me media harassment campaigns face harassment and threats at their homes and workplaces. In the most extreme examples, doctors face death threats and hospitals face bomb threats halting care for all patients. Uh, it goes on to say extremist politicians looking to rile up the most extreme members of their base join in spreading the same transphobic rhetoric from their platforms. In some cases, going so far as to introduce legislation to regulate children's hospitals and gender-affirming care providers. Hospitals halt gender-affirming services or remove online resources and websites in order to protect the safety of their patients and staff. Um, you know, regardless of what you think about gender-affirming care, okay, first of all, nobody is doing this with, if, it's a, if it's a minor without the parent's express consent. Nobody's forcing this. And you need to kind of realize that, all right? It's amazing how some parents claim that they should have the right to control what happens in the schools, but... They would deny those same rights to other parents that they don't agree with. Um, this report, this, and again, I'm just reading from the executive summary of the report. Excuse me, quote, in an informal exploration across Facebook and Twitter, we identified 24, excuse me, different hospitals and providers across 21 states who were directly attacked online following harassing, inflammatory, and misleading posts from Libs of TikTok, Matt Walsh, and other right-wing accounts, especially egregious post attacks include, uh, there was one from the Libs of TikTok that claimed, that claimed Boston Children's Hospital gender was performing hysterectomies on minors and that the hospital needs to be shut down. Um, they re Boston General Hospital, I'm sorry, J Boston Children's Hospital received three separate bomb threats that forced temporary lockdowns and evacuations. Um, nobody's doing hysterectomies on minor children. That's insane. Okay. Um, there was one investigative report from October that, quote, found that 20 different hospitals have been named and targeted in online harassment campaigns, and that's as documented by Stat News. Um, it just goes on. All right. Um you know, once again, this is only part of it. Then there's the violence against gays 
as well, claiming that they're groomers or pedophiles. This is just insanity. All right? You know, once again, you don't have the right to do this. Um, We also have, there's a piece from The Intercept, written by Robert Mackey, published on the 16th as well. The headline is, Emboldened Right-Wing Activists Spread Lies About Representative Katie Porter on Twitter. Video of Representative Katie Porter calling out right-wing activists for falsely accusing LGBTQ plus Americans of being pedophiles was misleadingly edited to accuse her of condoning pedophilia. Now think about this, how you would feel if, let's say, you were... You were being uh, videotaped, and you know, you're on air, and somebody asked you a question like, well, how do you feel about, you know, um, any subject, and they cut and spliced it to make it look like you were condoning some sort of crime. You'd be furious. That is illegal, but that's what they did. Okay? And so this was also backed up. Uh, a spokesperson from Porter told the fact-checking surface Verify, now Verify works with local news stations in 29 states, that Porter didn't say pedophilia is not a crime, all right? But what they did is they cut and spliced parts of the report. So it would be like, for instance, let's say you are a prominent Jewish person and you are condemning neo-Nazism, but somebody took that piece of video cut and spliced it so it made it sound like you were endorsing Nazism. You'd be furious. This is exactly what they did to Katie Porter. And again, the original video is available along with a full transcript. Okay? And even when faced with the evidence, these liars keep lying. You know, personally, I just just wish Katie Porter would sue these people. I don't know if she can, but I wish she would. I'm just saying, okay? All right, so this is what we're dealing with here. Isn't that insane? Okay. So now we're going to go to the next story here. All right, so that's that's what's happening with Katie Porter. And the fact that they are so bold as to do this to a prominent and a prominent democratic politician they're going to do it to anybody, all right? They just are. Um, you know, I remember years ago, I had some friends come to me, and this was, I think, back in 08, 09, when, they, when the Obama administration was discussing uh, health care reform. And there was, um, there was a political, uh, like, forum being held out in South County here in St. Louis, South St. Louis County. And um, I get a call from one of my colleagues saying, we need your help about this one person. There was a a black pastor who was also a union rep from SEIU that was wrongfully accused and arrested of violence. And when I actually investigated it and published an article that ran in Huffington Post back then, it proves that not only was there police abuse and police lying, but there was prosecutorial abuse. And after that ran, you know, you Google your name to see where, for instance, where your articles go. And I remember showing it to a colleague of mine, and there must have been thousands of posts that were calling me spawn of Satan. Um, they, 
talk about docs. They doxed me, published my my address and phone number. Um, there were death threats. This has been going on for a long time. Now, you would think, you know, it's amazing. Um, these people that make death threats, even if they actually don't do anything physically to, to complete that threat, when you threaten somebody, that legally is the crime of assault. Um, actually fulfill, fulfilling that threat, and that physically that's battery. You know, once again, but the police aren't interested in that, not if it's attacking non-conservatives, but that's what's going on here. Um, you know, if I don't sound angry, I am angry, make no mistake about it, but I'm also not shocked, okay? I'm not at all. This is about basically uh, selective enforcement of the laws that are already in the books, which basically favors conservatives, and by conservatives, I mean people that truly believe that the only people in this society that count, that should have rights, are white Christian males who are straight, and to a lesser degree, they're subservient females. That's it. And the rest of us, you know, we are subhuman in their eyes, no matter what they say. So let's move on to the next story. Now, the next story is, it was triggered, actually, by um, this report that showed, this, this report came out earlier this year, but recently, uh, Talking Points Memo did this series that they call the Meadows, uh, the Meadows Text, all right? And it's an exclusive series. And it shows that there was more than just a few people. There were, I think, up to almost, I think, 50 Republican members of Congress that were texting Marks Meadows, who was, you know, chief of staff then, you know, saying Trump needs to declare martial law. This is leading up to January 6th and during January 6th. Now, during January 6th, their texts changed because they were being attacked as well. All right. They realized that the, the crowd of rabid dogs they had unleashed was going after anything. But before that, they wanted Trump to declare martial law and so on and so forth. And everybody that was pushing for this should be criminally investigated if there's enough evidence, criminally indicted, prosecuted, and if convicted, yes, incarcerated. And that includes Trump. But it was funny because the worst, the, the dumbest one came from Congressman Ralph Norman. All right. And Ralph Norman was pushing this whole idea of we should push martial laws. Let me see if I can find this really fast here. Um, it was funny, though. I mean, if it wasn't so scary, it was funny. Let's put it that way. Uh, give me a second, folks. I'm going to do this instead. I'm going to go find it. All right. So he was just begging Trump to push, you know, martial law. Seriously. And for those of you who don't know, martial law is basically saying we're throwing out the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. It's, milit it's a police state. Okay. Um, so let's see what it says here. Let me go to, well, here, posting, posting courier. All right. The Post and Courier, which is a winner of the Pulitzer Prize, no less, there's an editorial, 
and it says South Carolina Congressman Ralph Norman's call for a coup makes him unfit to serve in office. Okay. And so here is the actual tweet. So apparently, um, Mark, Nor- I mean Ralph Norman thought that this was a private text message. And not tweet. I stand corrected. These are the text messages. I'm- so I stand corrected. So Ralph Norman, among others, thought this was a private text message. I don't know how all this leaked out, but thank God it did. And he sent on January 17th to Trump Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. Um, but here's the text. Quote, Mark, in seeing what's happening so quickly and reading about the Dominion lawsuits attempting to stop any meaningful investigation, we are at a point of no return in saving our republic. Our last hope is invoking martial law. Please urge to president to do so, end quote. Now, am I shocked this came from a congressman from a state like South Carolina? No. Okay, the Confederacy is alive and well, unfortunately. So what I did is I called Ralph Norman's office in D.C., and I know that other groups did. I know that the Young Turks, uh, I think Anna Kasparian reported on this, she called, and they got kind of a basic response. Apparently, I must have irritated. I must have irritated the congressional aide enough that this woman said something incredibly stupid. She was actually kind of casual, though. And I asked about Ralph, Congressman Ralph Norman's text to Mark Meadows, demanding that Trump impose martial law to halt the presidential transition of power to Biden. And I, I called his office on December 14th. This is past week. And the aide will listen and then just casually said, just said that, well, it was, quote, a frustrated text to a friend. Just a frustrated text to a friend, end quote. Can you believe how stupid that is? And I remarked back, I said, do you honestly believe the public's dumb enough to buy that that nonsense? It was just a frustrated text. He is demanding that the President of the United States at that time throw out the Constitution and push and, and declare martial law, which is a police state. We're talking about the kind of police state they have in North Korea. And she attributed what Ralph Norman uh, texted to Mark Meadows as, quote, just a frustrated text to a friend, end quote. And I know because I wrote it down. Can you believe that? And when I told her that is, I don't care if it was a frustrated text to a friend or not. He's representing his state. He is in the U.S. Congress. And he's responsible for his actions and what he was requesting. And she just didn't want to hear it. Okay, couldn't have cared less. This is how little Republicans think about our rights, believe in the Bill of Rights. They, don't, they despise democracy. What's it going to take to get people to wake up? Now, Ralph Norman's office did issue a formal statement. Okay, um, let's see now. Yeah, um, and in this piece, this editorial for the Post and Courier, it was the same thing, just a frustrated, you know, just an, a, a statement of frustration. Uh, the actual statement that 
Ralph Norman's office released Tuesday said the following, quote, obviously martial law was never warranted. That text message came from a source of frustration on the heels of countless unanswered questions about the integrity of the 2020 election without any way to slow down and ex- down and examine those issues prior to the inauguration of the newly elected president, end quote. Now keep in mind, Raga, which is the Republican Attorney General's Association, among others, pushed like slightly over 60 court cases challenging the results of the 2020 election. I think there were 61 or 62 actual cases and of that, they lost 60, and the, some of the losses were handed to them by Trump-appointed judges. Make no mistake about it. And, again, that's insufficient examination? Really? And, frankly, I don't care if Congressman Ralph Norman was frustrated or not. I don't care that his office said martial law wasn't warranted and he didn't mean it. I believe he did mean it. He's texting the chief of staff for President Trump. Direct line. Congressman Ralph Norman knew damn well what he was saying, and he meant it. And you can't backpedal it now. That's nonsense. This isn't the case where maybe Congressman Norman was sitting with a couple of friends, and he was drunk, maybe, and he was shooting. It's not that. He knew what he was doing. He meant what he said. Period. And you do not even jokingly suggest martial law. You just don't. That is a breach of your oath of office. Period. Because if martial law could be invoked by a president just on a whim, that means that our Constitution, especially our Bill of Rights, is worth less than used toilet paper. So, no, his congressional aides and the office of and Congressman Ralph Norman, they can't walk this back. They knew what they were doing. It's not acceptable. Okay? But there's more. Okay? Um, this was going on and on and on. Like I said, uh, you can go to Talking Points Memo, which is also known as TPM. They did an exclusive series on this. They call it the Meadows Text. And I'm looking, I downloaded this one article. I believe the series was written by, and I hope I'm saying this right, Amin Yussel. Excuse me. Uh, no, maybe it's Emini Yussel and Hunter Walker. And this was published December 17th, this particular one. Scenes from the Meadow text show the diverse cast of characters who chimed in on efforts to overturn the election. Meadow's phone was deluged with messages offering help, encouragement, and wild theories of how the election was stolen. Okay. This is what they're really talking about. The Meadows texts are out of line. All right. Um, I'm going to go to the ones that I believe are from politicians. These are from supporters. Like this one supporter named Lance Dylan Schneider. The text says, Mark, if Dems cheating can steal election, we have no America. It's over. Tell the president we love him. We're 100%. Yada, yada, yada. God strengthen him. Okay, that's not what we're looking for. So we're going to... Meadows' phone was deluged with it. Um, let's see. All righty. 
So here's Russell Vaught, V-O-U-G-H-T. He's the former director of the Office of Management and Budget, Texted Meadows as well. Um, he wanted to press Meadows to get the to get Trump to push kind of a variation of the alternate elector strategy. And that's the one that's the uh, Republican controlled legislators could subvert the vote. It's kind of it, it, it's that independent state legislatures doctrine that's being pushed right now and looked at by the Supreme Court in Moore v. Harper. And here's what Mr. Vaught texted, quote, I have not heard whether we are seriously considering the state legislature strategy. If we are, we should get that out there because, BC, because it would change the narrative from being a no-win court strategy. Similar to our vacate strategy on Boehner, those GOP legislators, legislatures would have no choice to back and the media would be unhinged. And Meadows uh, replied, agreed. I'm looking straight at it. Okay. Um Let's go on here. John Fleming. Now, these aren't all legislators here. John Calvin Fleming uh, was a Trump administration official, and before joining the White House, Fleming did serve in Congress. He represented Louisiana's 4th Congressional District. Um, He, along with Mick Mulvaney and six other members, founded the far-right House Freedom Caucus in 2015. There are other former members of Congress in the text log, but Fleming's contribution is big. Fleming sent over 20 messages to Meadows uh, where he kept talking about, quote, fraudulent voting activities, corrupt commissioners, and phantom votes. Um, Fleming, according to this, I'm reading straight from it now, quote, Fleming also described coordinating with Representative Brian Babb in Republican Texas on efforts to dispute the election, on November 21st, 2020, Fleming sent Meadows a pair of links. One was a transcript of the late right-wing radio host Rush Limbaugh, Limbaugh railing against Dominion. The other was a clip from Rumble, a video platform popular among the far right. that Fleming said showed how the Dominion algorithm worked. Fleming followed up that up with his own narration of the wild theory. Um, and so it goes on and on and on. Um, Fleming then joined... Eight months after sending the text, he joined a lobbying firm, the McKeon Group. Um, okay, so let's move on here. There's so much here, it's kind of hard to go through it all. Um, yeah, here we go. This is what I was looking for. Um, here it is. The Meadows text, this is from December 12th, Mark Meadows. The headline reads, Mark Meadows exchanged text with 34 members of Congress about plans to overturn the 2020 election. Okay, not 50, 34. The messages included battle cries, crackpot legal theories, and invoking martial law. And this is by Hunter Walker, Josh Kovensky, and Emily Youssel. Okay. So let's look at this. Here's one from Ralph Norman, the actual text. Mark, in seeing what's happening so quickly and reading about the Dominion lawsuits, attempting to stop any meaningful investigation, we are at a point of no return in saving our republic. Our last hope is invoking martial law. Please urge the president to do so. Now, Norman was um, asked by TPM uh, about this. Norman's response over the phone was, quote, it's been two years. Quote, send that text to me and I'll take a look at it. End quote. Um, 
According to TPM's analysis, I'm reading straight from this quote, Meadows received at least 364 messages from Republican members of Congress who discussed attempts to reverse the election results with him. He sent at least 95 messages of his own. The committee did not respond to requests for comment. Some of Meadows' texts, notably with Fox News personalities and a couple of members of Congress, have already been made public by the committee, media outlets, and in the book, The Breach. However, the full scope of his engagement with congressional Republicans as they work to overturn the election has not previously been revealed. End quote. And according to TPM, the text log from Mark Meadows um, was – Include a lot more people. Uh, it included texts from Senator Ted Cruz, Representative Jim Jordan, Representative Mo Brooks. Um, one message was deleted. Let's see. Here's a message from Trump campaign advisor Jason Miller, and it was dated December 30th, 2020. And it was identified as coming from Jason Miller. And Miller described Mo Brooks as the ringleader of the effort to block the electoral certification. Okay, here it is. Quote, um, excuse me. Quote, FYI, so I asked Ali Pardo from our press shop to get in touch with Representative Mo Brooks' office since he seems to be the ringleader on the January 6th deal. They say they will have as many as 50 members on board. One sixth, in other words, 50 members of the House. We won't have a list of names until Sunday or Monday. Keep in mind, this is before January 6th, December 30th. It goes on to say, this may not surprise you, but no one from the legal team has made contact with them at all. They request examples of fraud, numbers, names, whatever supporting evidence can be provided. We've now supplied that, but our legal squad isn't exactly buttoned up. I bring this up for a simple reason. If we're hoping to move real numbers on the 6th, I think we need to quickly start mobilizing our real deal allies. I'm ready to go. I have bodies to help. We'll follow your lead, end quote. Now, when Jason Miller was questioned by Talking Points Memo, he refused to comment. Okay. Mo Brooks did speak with Talking Points Memo the Monday before this came to press. This came to press December 12th. And he did agree he played a leading part in the objection. Um. It goes on, this article goes on to say, quote, the congressman who is set to leave office when the next term begins on January 3rd, 2023, suggested his case for objecting to the election result based on a bipartisan 2005 report co-authored by former President Jimmy Carter and James Baker III, who served in multiple Republican administrations. I don't believe that, end quote. Brooks was quoted as saying, specifically, quote, there are a number of different people who took leadership roles. And then he added, quote, I was certainly the leader with respect to the arguments that centered on arguments related to the 2005 report and on non-citizen voting, end quote. Now, according to Talking Points Memo, the Carter-Baker report, while it did identify risk for potential fraud and instances where there was some malfeasance, that report, written in 05, concluded that, quote, there is no evidence of extensive fraud in U.S. election, end quote. But the document's been exaggerated and mischaracterized by Trump, and that's as documented by Pointer.org, the Pointer Institute. Uh, but Brooks kept arguing this. So Mo Brooks was trying to make it look like what he did was legitimate when it wasn't. Okay. Uh, based on, again, the Meadows text log, some election objectors saw themselves 
they were participating in this epic battle of good and evil. It's it's it cites representative. I'm sorry, rep. I'm reading from this representative Brian Babin, Republican tax, Texas. Quote, sent at least 21 messages to Meadows and received at least four responses. On November 6th, he dramatically urged Meadows to refuse to give up. And here is a text that, that they uh, retreat. Quote, Mark, when we lose Trump, we lose our republic. Fight like hell and find a way. We're with you down in Texas. We're with you down here in Texas and refuse to live under a corrupt Marxist dictatorship. Liberty, explanation part. Babin. Uh, when Talking Points Memo uh, contacted Congressman Brian Babin's office, they did not respond. They refused to answer questions. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> All right. So it also goes on to say, let's see, on November 9th, again, we're talking, these texts date back to 2020. Um, according to this, and again, I'm reading straight from it. I don't want anybody to say I'm misquoting. Quote, on November 9th, that would have been 2020, before, right before, leading up to January 6th, quote, Edward, Edward Corrigan, the president and CEO of the Conservative Partnership Institute, wrote Meadows to say, get this, Senator Mike Lee, Republican Utah, would be holding a meeting about legal strategies with his colleagues at the organization's Capitol Hill townhouse. And it goes on to say, quote, Mike Lee has about a dozen senators coming over to CPI tonight, and they wanted to hear from a legal expert on what's going on with the campaign. Any suggestions who would be good for that, end quote. Now, CPI, which again, as I said before, is the Conservative Partnership Institute. Keep in mind, they're the, guy, they're the organization that, that employed Meadows after Trump left office. It's a dark money group. They've been, this group has been described by NPR as, quote, among the most powerful messaging forces in the MAGA universe, end quote. Um, and this apparent, according to Meadows' phone log, his text log, that CPI did, quote, serve as something of a headquarters for members of Congress working to overturn the election, end quote. And again, Edward Corrigan of CPI which is the Conservative Partnership Institute, was contacted by Talking Points Memo and did not respond. They wouldn't answer questions. So in addition to Lee's meeting, Babin said it, I'm reading straight from this, Babin said a text to Meadows in late December 2020 describing plans for an objector meeting at CPI. And here's this text, quote, Mark looks like objectors will be meeting this Saturday, 6 p.m. at the CPI facility. We would like to have you there, BPS. I don't know what that is. Probably need to keep our ears open to any machinations by Senate Dems and Republicans who want to change rules. Would you reach out to the VP and see if he will help prevent that? Brian Babin. Okay. All right. Um <clears throat> It goes on. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, let's see. I'm looking for some more here. Apparently, Brian Babin's been involved in this up to his eyeballs. Okay? This goes on and on and on. Um, other members of Congress apparently sent memos, some crazy and questionable legal theories, and plans that were clearly undemocratic. 
for a plan to overturn the election at the state level. Again, that's an independent state legislature's theory. Again, the danger is that particular theory is be, being considered right now by the Supreme Court in the case of Moore v. Harper. Okay? Keep in mind, that particular theory, independent state legislature's theory, was considered by the Supreme Court like 100 years ago and declared to be illegitimate. But they're pushing it again. Apparently, Representative Mark Green, who's a Republican from Tennessee, uh, looked at a segment on Newsmax where Dick Morris, you know, Dirty Tricks Dick Morris, uh, argued that this same thing, that Republican state-dominated legislatures could declare Trump the winner. It is, and, and just pointing out to uh, um, alleged voter fraud with no proof. With no proof. And so Mark Green, his text was, quote, Dick Morris is saying state ledge legislators can intervene and declare Trump winner, question mark. NC, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, all have GOP legislatures. That's from Newsmax. Okay. Ralph Norman again, November 7th, right after most media outlets had declared Biden the winner, Norman sent a message to, again, Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. Here it is, quote, Guys, if there was ever a time to stand with our leader who has strengthened our military, stood for life for the unborn, supported Israel, <laughs> built the wall, appointed conservative judges, etc., and we lay down and abandon him just because the biased media has called the election. I'm reading this as it is, has called the election, not called the election. Now is the time to fight and advocate for a recount in Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania. What our delegation is doing in South Carolina is gathering on the State House steps on Tuesday to advocate for standing with our president and other arguments options that are at our disposal. For anyone willing to discuss our game plan, let me or anyone else know, and let's get on a conference call with concrete plans of action. I will go anywhere, anytime for the cause. Bottom line, it's time we fight for the one person who has changed this country way too soon to give in now, end quote. Keep in mind, this is the guy that was demanding Trump implement martial law. Okay, and then his office said he was just frustrated. Well, I get frustrated too, but I'm not calling for ending democracy. Okay, but it goes on and on and on. And uh, let's see now, CPI wasn't the conser- CPI wasn't the only conservative dark money group that was involved in this. Apparently, according to this piece on December 2nd, Representative Louis Gohmert, Representative, I'm sorry, Representative Louis Gohmert, Republican of Texas, wrote Meadows and said that apparently Gohmert was participating in Georgia rallies that were organized by the Club for Growth. Now, the events were focused on the state Senate's runoff race in Georgia, and that was according to um, SaveAmericaTour.com. Gomert and uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene brought up the presidential race. And so here's a, here's a text from Representative Louis Gomert, Republican Texas, quote, Mark Club for Growth wanted me to help in Georgia December 11th and 12th on their bus tour. I've also been asked to help this weekend while I'm still trying to spur people to get real winner of president. 
recognized since without the president officially reelected, we're done. Would it be possible to ride AF-1 to, to Georgia? I, oh, Air Force 1. I guess that's what he means, AF-1. Air Force 1 to Georgia Saturday. I'd only need a ride down. So I'd stay there longer. Also, if president had any time, I could drop by today. Would love to see you both. Thanks, Louie. Okay. There's a text from Paul Gosar. He had texted Meadows with some crazy conspiracy theories. And apparently, this was shortly after 11 p.m. on December 16, 2020. Uh, Gosar texted about um, Dominion. Quote, when is the 45 days up? What starts the clock? November 3rd, if it is. Then that is December 18th. China bought Dominion in October for $400 million. If that's not interference, then should have a report with details and specifics that would validate that either way. And if they didn't, call me. I have some fireworks coming out of Arizona early tomorrow. Call me anytime. I'm up. So, you know, you know, Gosar has been claiming that foreign governments have been interfering. Okay, fine. Where's the proof? Here's one on December 30th, 2020. Senator Cynthia Loomis, Republican Wyoming, just elected, texted Meadows, and she also suggested this debunked Pennsylvania analysis. And she wrote, and this involves my U.S. Senator, I'm ashamed to say, Josh Hawley. You remember Hawley, the guy who fist-bumped in approval, the insurrectionist, and then when they attacked, he ran like hell, like a little coward. You could see the yellow streak down his back. Well, here's her text, quote, Dear Mark, in light of the forensic accounting report by Pennsylvania legislatures, I have reached out to Senator Josh Hawley's staff to serve as a wingman to him on January 6th. Please include me in the loop as you gain access to equally persuasive evidence from other states. Thank you, Cynthia Loomis. It goes on and gone on and on. And while, you know, and there's one more here. Here's from uh, Jim Jordan. And Jim Jordan texted Mark Meadows, and this is a plan for VP Pence to just throw out the results altogether. Here's the text, quote, on January, from Jim Jordan, quote, on January 6, 2021, Vice President Mike Pence, as President of the Senate, should call out all electoral votes that he believes are unconstitutional as no electoral votes at all. In accordance with guidance from Founding Father Alexander Hamilton and judicial precedents, no legislative act wrote Alexander Hamilton in Federalist Number 78, contrary to the Constitution, can be valid. The court in Hubbard v. Lowe reinforced this truth that an unconstitutional statute is not a law at all, is a proposition no longer open to discussion, appeal dismissed, yada, yada, yada. Following this rationale, an unconstitutionally appointed elector, like an unconstitutionally enacted statute, is no elector at all. Okay, here's the thing. I can text. I don't care. Um, this, there's enough evidence here to show there were multiple members of the Republican Party that were involved in the planning and the execution of the January 6th insurrection, period. Now, whether to what degree they committed any sort of criminal act needs to be, you know, again, looked at. We can't dismiss it. I don't want to hear this nonsense like Obama said, we're going to, we're not going to look back, we're going to go forward. Nonsense. We need to hold these people accountable. Period. They basically 
they have a war against democracy. Okay, that's it. All right, this is just – so here is a list at the bottom here of all members of Congress that were identified in Mark Meadows' text message log. Um, Representative Andy Biggs, Republican, Arizona. Representative Mike Kelly, Republican, Pennsylvania. Representative Billy Long, Republican, Missouri. Representative Warren Davidson, Republican, Ohio. Representative Chip Roy, Republican, Texas. Representative Brian, Brian Babin, Republican, Texas. Senator Kevin Kramer, Republican, North, North Dakota. Representative Mark Green, Republican, Texas. Representative Louis Gohmert, Republican, Texas. Representative Greg Murphy, Republican, North Carolina. Representative Paul Gosar, Republican, Arizona. Representative Ralph Norman, Republican, South Carolina. Senator Mike Lee, Republican, Utah. Representative Kevin Brady, Republican, Texas. Representative Scott Perry, Republican, Pennsylvania. Representative Ted Budd, Republican, North Carolina. Representative Tom Emmer, Republican, Minnesota. Representative Jim Jordan, Republican, Ohio. Representative Richard Hudson, Republican, North Carolina. Representative Jody Heist, Republican, Georgia. Representative Barry Loudermilk, Republican, Jordan, Georgia, excuse me. Senator Ron Johnson, Republican, Wisconsin. Senator David Perdue, Republican, Georgia. Representative Rick Allen, Republican, Georgia. Representative Bob Gibbs, Republican, Ohio. Representative Mo Brooks, Republican, Alabama. Representative Mike Johnson, Republican, Louisiana. Senator Ted Cruz, Republican, Texas. Senator Cynthia Loomis, Republican, Wyoming. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, Republican, Georgia. Representative Barry Moore, Republican, Alabama. Representative Fred Keller, Republican, Pennsylvania. Representative Dan Bishop, Republican, North Carolina. And Representative Andrew Clyde, Republican, Georgia. Okay? This is what we're dealing with, folks. Period. This is what we're dealing with. Make no mistake about it. And these people must be held legally accountable. We can't have this anymore. What is it going to take to hold these people accountable? They wanted to destroy democracy. Make no mistake about it. Because they didn't get their way. And during Trump's administration... Don't pretend that Donald Trump actually respected democratic rule because he doesn't. He never did. You know, I always had a problem with pushing corporate types to run for high political office because I really saw the corporate CEO model as being incompatible with democratic rule because it is. Think of what a corporation is. It is a dictatorship. I don't think you can become, you can be a long-term uh, corporate executive and actually respect democratic rule. That's just not in your DNA. It's ludicrous. So let's do this now. We are getting ready. You know, and again, the insurrection was built on propaganda lies. 
Make no mistake about it. The constant idea that there is all this massive voter fraud. There isn't ma- There were so many court cases. There was practically no voter fraud. There was, however, massive voter suppression engineered by the GOP. Because when you look at this statistically, historically, Democrats only win when there's high voter turnout. Period. That's it. And the communities that are most heavily affected, and we've talked about it on the show before, largely are communities of color, especially the black community. If you get a lot of black voters, the chances are the Democrats are going to win. Now, here in Missouri, you know, I voted by absentee because I have a medical condition. And I know I read in Missouri, for instance, and Jay Ashcroft is our Secretary of State, that when you vote absentee, it has to be notarized. I don't recall if mine was notarized or not. Now I'm questioning whether or not my vote even counted or whether I was just, uh, you know, led down the primrose path. You never know. You never know. So now we are getting ready for our Jackass of the Week Award. Okay. Let me get this together here. And we have a very special jackass this week. And it was kind of hard to pick because there were so many. But here we go. Get me ready here. Welcome to PNN Jackass of the Week Awards. All right, we have a very, very special very special jackass this week. We do. In fact, this one is actually a shared award, and it is awarded to the unnamed aide at Congressman Ralph Norman's office, as well as Congress, the congressman himself. Because what, after Ralph Norman uh, called for President Trump, demanded he implement uh, martial law, you know, leading up to January 6th, and that that text message got out there, you know, in in the media. When I called and asked, again, the the remark that was given was that Congressman Norman was just he was just frustrated. It was just a frustrated text to a friend. Seriously, I I, I guess they. I guess they grow them stupid in South Carolina because I, I've never heard of that. I mean, Congressman Norman was literally demanding the president of the United States commit treason and overthrow an election with no actual evidence to justify the need for martial law. Just none. And then they gave this incredibly, incredibly stupid response. That he was just frustrated. You know, if you're frustrated, Congressman Norman, then you go get a banana split or a drink. You don't demand the president implement martial law. And for that and so many others, we grant Congressman Ralph Norman and his the aide that came up with that asinine response as the PNN Jackasses of the Week Awards. Bray on, Jack and Jenny. Bray on. All righty. Anyway, that's our show for today. I hope you learned something from it. 
Um, we, the environmental justice report will be coming back soon. We are planning a very special show with nuclear, anti-nuclear activist Libby Halivi, who is wonderful. We're going to be talking about uh, quite a few things, including the myth that, that the fusion problem has been settled. It hasn't been. Um, so I hope you continue to tune in. I only ask. Because, again, this is a free outlet. Um, since I've been banned from just about everything, I only ask that if you like our show, please share it with everybody you know. That's the only way we can build up. All right? Uh, with that, I say good night and God bless us and happy Hanukkah, everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.